0: I'll
1: allow the panelists to remark in regards to cultivating these inclusive environments and any suggestions you might have how we can sort of institutionalize that and make it transparent.
0: Um, James Mayo in his dissertation provided a list of recommendations that were more of a multimodal approach uh, including the mandatory diversity training as uh, Dr. Brown mentioned on cultural competence. But with a, a clear part for sexual orientation, um, also uh, having uh, libraries that have volumes of age-appropriate literature on sexual orientation. Of course, inclusion of sexual orientation into policies, administration policies, and par- uh, partner domestic partner benefits for the employees, and um, uh... trying to promote acceptance of diversity among all the faculty um, and having uh... curriculum that is supportive of gay and lesbian families and individuals I just want to add one thing to that is that you brought up is really we need a culture of acceptance and i've brought that up a couple times but really a culture of advocacy because this is an oppressed population and it is a population with special needs. And I think we need a culture of advocacy for these individuals because someone may not be able to get the services. There's over 50% of people dealing with sexual orientation issues sought counseling. We need to make sure that those, it's up to us to make sure that those counseling services are there. So I think. Recognizing the problems that are associated with um, being an oppressed population and doing something about it and being more of an advocacy for these individuals. Just to
1: build upon, Amy said, the advocacy part comes when you build alliances. There as I said before, there's nothing more powerful than to hear from a parent whose child has been hurt. Because every parent out there, every heterosexual, homosexual parent, that resonates deep within your soul. It resonates to the core of your being when you start talking about your child being hurt in some way or another because of who they are or who they're perceived to be. Secondly, you build alliances not just with the other parents in the community, but with the churches. Believe it or not, there are churches willing to come forward saying, this isn't right. It really does mute a lot of the other criticisms that come from other corners of the community because no one's willing to promote intolerance of other students at school.
2: in writing on what you said about you know the club shirts, we have the days where we can wear our jeans and as long as we wear a high school shirt, I wear my GSA shirt and the uh, the slogan that the kids voted to put on it is "I am who I am," because we. They, the kids purposely didn't want rainbows all over it and this and that. Of course, it had to be a black shirt because the kids all wanted, you know, black, you know, gothic and whatever. But, um, and the kids, in their, in their mission statement, um, they put, um, the Wildcat Gay-Straight Alliance, which represents a spectrum of members of the Wesley Chapel High School community, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and straight, works to provide a tolerant, accepting, and safe environment for all students, teachers, and staff. And they purposely wrote that because there. I shared an experience with them. and I didn't say the name of the teacher, who it was. But when we were starting the GSA, a teacher came up to me and said, please don't mention my name with anything that has to do with this, because we have some closeted teachers, apparently, at, at our school. And I guess they thought I was going to say, "Oh, you know, but that wasn't the case. And we have had some... Um, um, supportive teachers come you know, to our meetings. And the kids really wanted to be something that was going to be inclusive of everybody. And um, when we've had elections, our first um, president of the club was straight, and the vice president was not. And this, it was the other, was the other way around the second year. And the I am who I am I think represents that. The kids really wanted to have a diverse club and not want to be known as this gay club that was going to be formed and that, that is not what it is. And that there was really something that was going to be something that was going to be unifying. And if, if you take this you'll see quotes written by the kids. Um, and the purpose of the club I think we, we don't have any support really for the, in our district at all. And I think that the GSA itself at our school is that. There is nothing else. The kids really took it upon themselves, um, and some of our meetings—I um, don't know how many of you heard me say this last time or not. I don't know. If some of the faces are familiar, but some of the meetings are just—they want to sit and eat cupcakes, and sometimes they just want to talk about something that was in the media or something that was in a movie. But some of our meetings had been serious, have been serious before, where so and so told her mother she's a lesbian and was sitting there crying because she was thrown out, you know, and. They're so limited, you know, what do we do? Well, we we do have social workers and school psychiatrists and what have you. But at the same time, um, there's, you know, some of that support is not made known. I don't think very well in our district because we don't have, I don't think, such good mechanisms to let all of this LGBT-friendly, all of these LGBT-friendly LGBT-friendly resources I don't think really be made known in our district. I don't think so. I think we need to do a lot better. Um, And uh, I think the GSA, I guess, is some way for the students to be able to vent and be able to support each other and just to be themselves. And the fact that we have one at Zephyr Hills High School, last time I mentioned that it was starting to go away because some of the LGBT kids were afraid to go. And I heard from the sponsor this morning in an email all of the new freshmen brought it back to life. And so we have two GSAs now in Pasco County. And for us, that's a big deal, especially Zephyr Hills High School. So um, that's a good thing. Good, thank you. Uh, would anybody from the
1: audience like to respond? Question at this point? Yes, ma'am. Um, I graduated from high school
2: in uh,
0: 1997. And um, at that time, there was you no know, gay like, straight alliance, so anything equivalent. It's not that I can remember. And I actually had a friend who came out to me, and I'm um, so ashamed of it, but I put a wedge between our friendship back he did that, because I did not know how to deal with it. And I think maybe if I had graduated in 2007 instead, or there was something like this, I would have been able to have a support group for myself to know how to help him and, you know, be a better friend to him. So I think this is great. We have obviously taken definite strides since, you know, 1997, I think.
1: That's a very personal testimonial, and thank you for sharing that, because I, I, as much as we say that things are in the news and things have changed, we're still not where we probably need to be. And there's probably going to be a lot of other kids, just like you in the high school, suddenly someone shares this, what appears to be a deep, dark secret. I've also got to say we still need friends like you, because I, before, I've, I've been blessed at many different jobs as a teacher. I was a high school teacher, I've worked in many different settings, but I was also a teacher for the homeless. I worked with K-12 students who were in homeless shelters. It was a fu- research, uh, funded grant uh, position, and I <coughs> predominantly worked the elementary school kids because they were still intact with their families. The high school students that I worked with—if you want to guess, what is the number one reason why boys and girls who are high school age are homeless? Number one reason, same thing for both boys and girls. Well, kind of yes, but why? No, that's not the number one reason for both boys and girls can't get along with mama's new boyfriend or mama's new husband because almost all of these kids were living You know, dad's disappeared long ago for whatever reason in both the white and black community you think about your friends who were suddenly couch homeless who you know weren't, weren't always home on the weekends or mama would get in the they're going to fight with mama's new boyfriend and they'd find themselves on somebody's couch in their girlfriend's couch their boyfriend's couch number one reason for both boys and girls what do you think is the number two reason why girls would become homeless why they got kicked out too but why I just heard it. Pregnant. Pregnant. But number two reason for boys? Gay. Exactly. They've come out as gay or they've been perceived or somehow issues come up. So we still have an issue. Now, I was doing that uh, back in the 90s before I went back into into administration. The story hasn't changed. There are still kids who are put on the street because of their sexual orientation. There are still kids who are put on the street because they can't get along with their parents' new paramour. You know, the new person in their life. So there's a lot of support that still needs to be out there for youth. And our shelters can't provide it because of issues regarding um, liability. They are really limited in their, their, their work. So friends are still going to rely on friends to get them through the tough times. Okay, we're actually going to wrap it up. I'm sorry. If, if the audience has any other questions for the panelists, please feel free in the next uh, 30 minutes or hour or so to come up and ask them we're gonna allow this time now for mixing manual and refreshments. And we'd certainly like to thank all the panelists for being here today. <clears throat> and that's gonna end our forum session uh, for today. Thank you.